All right, and welcome back to the Flag Hunting Podcast. My name is Chris. This is Ian. And Ian, we get to break down the Scottish Open. So the first of this kind of overseas set. And then we are going to talk about the last major of the year in the Open Championship. But let's go ahead and start with the Scottish Open. Um, I tuned in for a little bit to see that coming into hole 11, we had a guy in the lead. <laughs> uh, and then things didn't go so well from there. And uh, we saw quite the battle from, from Rory and, and Bobby McIntyre. So what do you have to break down from your point of view from the Scottish? What happened to Hatton? What do you have to say about, you know, these guys that finished towards the top for this week? Um, yeah, just kind of general consensus here. Yeah, wild finish, I would say. For those of you all that were able to get up uh, and watch the back nine on the East Coast or get up extra early on the West Coast and catch the end of that golf tournament, I mean, the back nine was as good as you could have possibly asked for, I would say, as far as like a golf event on the PJ Tour. Um, I would say four or five different players probably had like at, at some point in the last like six or seven holes were the favorite um, to win. I know uh, to Chris's point on hole 15, I remember this pretty distinctly. Uh, hole 15, Hatton was on the tee, hits a drive down the fairway. Uh, he was the consensus favorite on every book I was looking at um, with three and a half holes to play. Felt pretty good. He was, I think, tied for the lead at 13 under with, with uh, Bobby Mack. Uh, just hit a drive down the middle of the fairway on 15. He makes par on 15, bogeys the par 5, 16th. Bobby Mack makes two birdies um, in the same time span, and all of a sudden Hatton's, um, yeah, Hatton's day was essentially done. Um, even though Bobby Mack made one or two slip ups coming home that gave him a bit of life, Hatton made double on eighteen, which officially sealed his fate. Um, but yeah, I mean Hatton was there, Fleetwood was there, Bobby Mack, Rory. So if you're a British um, golf fan, you were you're living the dream there on the back nine. Uh, Fleetwood just kind of did his normal Sunday thing of making a ton of pars, uh, playing super conservatively. Um, and I think he finished T3 at minus 11, but four shots back of the two kind of leading horses on the day, uh, Roy and Bobby Mack. And man, it seemed like a magical run from McIntyre. I mean, it was, he was, a, I mean, obviously a, a Scott, the native Scott, probably the number one Scott in the world right now. Um, home events shoots nine under par on his, uh, his Sunday round goes from, I think he was like 200 to one before the start of the round to obviously I think minus one or minus like 300 walking off 18 green after he makes birdie on the 18th. But dude was just sticking iron shots. He had like four feet for, he made it four feet for Eagle on 11, uh, stuck it close from the par four or the par three 14th, stuck it close to the par four 15th. And then obviously the miracle shots on 18 uh, from the left, just, you know, fescue. Uh, it's about three feet with a hybrid club. I'm pretty sure on 18. Um, and I thought that was, that was it, you know, because Rory, even though he was, you know, he came into the, came into the Sunday with a lead was playing solidly, I guess, um, you know, made a few birdies, made a few bogeys here and there was kind of treading water enough to, to stay in the mix, but it didn't really look like he had the birdie run in him to catch Bobby Mack, um, with the, with the score he set, but, um, but yeah, McElroy dialed it in on 17 and 18, uh, hits it to about six, seven feet on 17 fairway on 18, then hits one of the sickest crazy shot on four, 18. Like four iron from like two fifteen into the wind, just low punch draw to about eight, nine feet rolls the putt in, um, and gets celebration. I was, I mean, after Hatton was, was done, I was pulling for McIntyre just, um, to take his home event, but. Obviously, cool to see Rory finally kind of close one down and 
Um, I think this obviously gives him a ton of confidence. You know, we talk about on a weekend, we got bases on the outright odds board. Sometimes um, not putting a lot of stock in the previous week's winner, just with how difficult it is uh, to carry that momentum forward week over week. But in Rory's case, I think it actually enhances his chances this week. I think I would feel a lot worse about Rory's chances at Toy Lake if he came into the week on the back of another Sunday disappointment where he you know, kind of had the tournament in his hands um, heading into that Sunday. And if he was unable to get that done, uh, he only had 25% of his fairways on Sunday as well. So the drive was kind of notably one of the things that was letting him down the most. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's obviously phenomenal for Rory. It sets up some phenomenal storylines here at Hoy Lake. Obviously this is the last or not. This is not the last major site that he won at, but um, the site of his only open championship went in 2014. Um, yeah. First and only his third major championship at that point. So um, yeah, he's clearly comes in as one of the favorites, Scotty, the other top name in the, on the, on the odds board for the last two or three months, finishes T3, does his traditional thing of destroying the field from T to green, missing a few clutch butts on Sunday that kind of really vulture him into contention, but um, but yeah, not not a I wouldn't say a ton of surprises. I mean, obviously, Cantley. We'll talk about him in a little bit, but his struggles were a little bit um, obviously surprising for us, having a pretty big position on him at sixteen to one. But um, but yeah, all in all, good good Scottish Open. Really nice introduction into Lynx golf, and you know this will be our kind of um, it'll be a nice hors d'oeuvre for our our proper test this week in, in, in Hoy Lake. What about? I do want to say there's there's two guys that finished within the top six that are uh, are kind of faves of yours, Benny On and and Hoygaard, Nikolai <laughs> Hoygaard in T6. Uh, anything oh. to say from there? I do have to comment, which I know the listeners aren't going to really know this name, but friend of the pod, Stephen Shinigo, I was talking to him over the weekend, and uh, he was talking about how he watched a good bit of the Scottish Open because um, just from the times it was on, yeah. uh, he he was he thought it was flabbergasting how like. Benny on was having this like incredible round on Saturday, but they were barely showing him. <laughs> and I was like, honestly, honestly, it's no different going to a tournament either, right? Like we experienced that firsthand. We're like, you can go to this tournament and have a player who's just not a top player, but playing really good golf. And there's like 10 people in the gallery, right? So it's just, it's yeah. funny how that, how that is. But anyways, Benny on Nikolai Hoygaard, what do you got for them? Yeah. The coverage didn't do themselves a ton of favors with uh, any audience, I guess, you know, casuals or kind of us sickos. I mean, it was, it was kind of a shit show trying to find the golf with all the weather delays. And obviously whenever you have kind of alternate feeds, it tends to just be Rory and maybe a couple shots from Scheffler and maybe, you know, Hatton every now and again. But yeah, I mean, that's been a longstanding problem on the, on the PJ tour broadcast, just uh, not showing guys other than, you know, the guys that they think the casual fan wants to see. Um, but in terms of Benny on and, and Hoygaard, I think, what you see there is is are two guys with very similar profiles, actually. Two guys that we we mentioned last week that driving distance. I mean, this is a golf course that is forgiving enough off the tee to where guys could with elite distance could bully this place. And and Benny on has it, it's funny because he's now in kind of the later stages of his career. I wouldn't say like he's about to retire or anything, but he's in his thirties, comfortable in his thirties now. He's kinda of in the second act of his career. And when he first came on tour, he was very much in the Colin Morikawa, Corey Connors mold of like super accurate off the tee, but an elite iron player and just couldn't really putt. Um, and he's really transformed himself. Like he's one of the longest players on the PJ tour now. Uh, utilized that distance really well this past week, has an elite short game and kind of had the, uh, I thought for a second there we're going to get, I guess not back to back, but we're going to get to see, you know, a few weeks in a row now with the storylines of a, of a traditionally awful putter going 
transitioning to the long putter uh, and having immediate success. We saw Lucas Glover string together a couple top fives in Detroit and Deer Run with a long putter, and Benny On comes out with a pretty similar prototype in Scotland this week or last week, gained uh, three and a half shots putting in his first round 61 at Renaissance Club. So, yeah, I think it, it more so speaks for the profile. These guys obviously wouldn't have the staying power to keep up with, you know, your Rory's and your Hattons and your Fleetwoods and, and whatnot down the stretch, I wouldn't think. But, yeah, Hoygaard and, and Benny On, both guys that can string together a ton of birdies in a hurry, especially when a golf course is forgiving enough to accommodate maybe some wider misses uh, that they're prone to off the tee. But, yeah, uh, Nikolai just finished – top five or top six set in Scotland. Uh, his his uh, twin brother Rasmus just won the Maiden Himlin title, the event before the Scottish Open on the European Tour. Um, so for those that are projecting forward Ryder Cup teams, you know these are two names definitely to monitor. Uh, them them and, and Bobby Mack kind of as you get past the top maybe seven or eight names on that European squad uh, becomes murky pretty quickly. So with guys like Strzok winning a John Deere, the two Horgar twins, McIntyre, uh, plenty of euros in, in the mix this week um, at the Open Championship. Like it's becoming pretty um, pretty fierce at the back of that that European roster. So um, yeah, a lot of stuff to look out for. And um, yeah, that's pretty much all I got on the Scottish. I think that's fine because we've got more important things to talk about. We have the final major of the year, the British Open, or also known as just the Open Championships or the Open Championship, um, we are heading to Royal Royal Liverpool, uh, also known as Hoylake. Um, so, Ian, this is a, a really interesting course. I heard, I've actually had, I was working from home today, and I had a Live at the Open on for most of the day, and they talked a lot about that new hole 17, uh, oh. which is, is very interesting, so I'm sure you're going to touch on that. Um, but, yeah, honestly, just having that coverage on all day has me really excited to kind of look through this odds board here, hear about the course architecture and uh, listen into what we got going on this week. So I'm going to throw it over to you. Yeah. I mean, I kind of alluded to it last week a little bit with the link style course at Renaissance club, but it's kind of a tough week for those of us that really rely on actionable data and a week in week out basis, you know, like when you compare the, the show this week to maybe a show that I would, uh, I would have mapped out at for like the three M open and the Wyndham championship in the next two weeks. Like there's just a lot less, data to go through historically um and so it opens up the door for a lot of narratives and i think a lot of unpredictability and a lot of variance uh this week and that's why i think we see a lot of different takes a lot of different kind of betting cards a lot of different names that we're, we're seeing being touted um on twitter and beyond this week so i think it's a really really interesting golf course i'm going to kind of give um my take on the changes my take on um just hoy lake in general and obviously the lane that I've decided to go with um, in terms of my betting card. But we are, as Chris said, at Royal Liverpool Golf Club, <clears throat> located in the village of Hoylake. Uh, Royal Liverpool is hosting its 13th Open Championship here in 2023. Uh, notably only the third, though, since 1967. Hoylake was a regular stop in the Open Rota for 70 years, dating back to 1987. But due to troubles with the infrastructure within the small seaside town, uh, it was passed over for nearly 40 years before returning for the 135th Open in 2006. Now, since then, uh, after 2006, it hosted the Open Championship in 2014, uh, won by Rory McIlroy, and then, of course, now in 2023, hosting its third Open Championship uh, since the turn of the century. Um, and yeah, the first two champions we've had, the first two champions we've had since the return to Hoy Lake, Tiger Woods in 2006, and his famous uh, kind of first major win since the passing of his father, 
emotional win there. Uh, and then obviously Roy McIlroy getting his first and to this point his only open championship for uh, for Britain in 2014. Although I don't think he considers him himself British, but Northern Irishman. Um, yeah, this week, I will say Hoylake will play as a par 71 uh, that measures 7,383 yards. That makes us the longest par-adjusted open championship since Carnoustie in 2018. Um, and although it has played as kind of a middle-of-the-road course in terms of difficulty in the open road, a fifth toughest since 2000, um, recent redesigns from Martin Ebert um, in preparation for this year's iteration of aim to make Hoylake an even more daunting proposition uh, than even what Tiger or Rory faced in their 2006 and 2014 triumphs. Um, Chris briefly touched on a few of the changes. I would say most of the notable changes were done to the back nine, uh, which I would say is now pretty clearly the harder nine of the two on the golf course for those looking to, um, you know, look, looking for some live ads in the live markets or just looking to map out, uh, projections for the day. Um, I think, uh, I, and a lot of what I've heard on the golf course so far would indicate, yeah, the. The front nine is your scorable stretch, and you're going to have a lot of difficulty making up ground on the back nine if that's um, if that's where you're at. But I would I would say there's three significant changes that makes the back nine a lot different than what we saw in 2014. Uh, the first of which, just going in chronological order, is the 532 yard par five tenth uh, that is now turned into a 507 yard par four, um, which uh, makes it the longest two shotter on the property, the longest par par four on the property, and turns what was one of the two easiest holes in the past two opens into probably one of Hoylake's most daunting holes, a 507-yard par four, um, where, you know, obviously in the last two iterations, guys would have been looking at that hole at the 10th as a pretty clear birdie chance. Now, um, I think a four, a par four on that score, on that hole would would gain anywhere from two-tenths to maybe even four-tenths of a shot in the field, depending on the weather conditions. Um, that's, yeah, that's probably the – in terms of scoring, that's probably the most notable change to the scorecard. Just it turns Hoylake from a par 72 into a par 71. But in terms of the headlines, in terms of the um, the landscape of the actual Open Championship, what we have on, on the docket for this week, the changes to 17 and 18 are probably the most uh, drastic and the most headline-inducing. Of course, the 17th, we'll start with there. Um, it now we t- we go. F- the seventeenth hole was formerly the fifteenth hole here at Hoylake. Uh, it was a downhill one hundred sixty yard par three that has been flipped from its original position that played away from the beach. It now it now is a hundred thirty five yard par three that faces right at the water. It's an infinity style green um, where from the tee box it really doesn't look like there's any gap between the green surface and the actual ocean. Uh, the fifth of the fifth of Firth um, there across the way towards Scotland. Or no, actually, it's actually the Irish Sea. The fifth and first was last week in Scotland. But anyway, it's it's a kind of infinity style green um, that plays right back into the teeth of the prevailing wind. And for most guys, even though it's you know, 135 yards, probably no more than a pitching wedge or or a short iron. Um, it's one of the smallest targets we're gonna have um, on the week. And really, there's no place to miss outside the putting surface. There's trouble on all sides: deep, cavernous bunkers, short, right, and left. Uh, if you miss long, you're kind of in no man's land in the native area um, back there way below the surface of the green. So it's certainly one of the nervier shots that we're really going to see um, in major champs of golf really this year and maybe even for years to come. Um, I will say that any shot on the putting surface will guarantee a pretty decent birdie look, but with slopes running away on all sides and deep bunkers and, and slick, slick 
grass blip banks. Um, I wouldn't be all surprised to see, you know, a ton of open dreams die on Hoy Lake's shortest hole. Um, and then finally the par five, the final hole, the par five 18th, um, both par fives on the back nine have been lengthened significantly uh, from 577 and 551 in 2014 to 620 and 609 in 2023. Uh, the 18th hole in particular will provide a ton of new challenges for players expecting the same generous landing areas we saw in 2014. Uh, the new back tee has been shifted further right, and an eternal out-of-bounds line on the right side has been moved 20 yards further left. So it's severely pinched in the fairway on the 18th hole, and all of a sudden there's some really dicey propositions for guys that miss offline on 18T. There's pop bunkers, fairy bunkers down the right or down the left side that we'll get to in a little bit. And of course, internal OB, which is a tool we don't often see on the PGA Tour. Um, I guess the PGA Championship had it, I think, on six, uh, where you couldn't kind of go in the joining fairway on seven. But um, again, internal OB down the right, pop bunkers on the left. You're going to have to hit two big boy shots to really even get yourself in wedge position on the 18th hole. So um, yeah, ton of Interesting changes that make for, I think, a really, really exciting finish. If a guy is, you know, one or two up heading into the back nine um, on Sunday, these these shots on 17, 18 are going to be um, are going to be crucial in his ability to close this tournament out. So let's kind of zoom out from the individual changes and talk about Hoy Lake maybe as a whole. Um, I think the most interesting thing about the strategy options or about Hoy Lake are the strategy options available to players kind of off the tee and in general, just the trouble that lurks, lurks just a few yards from safety. Um, funnily enough, even though you know we tend to, we tend, to, we tend to use past open venues as markers for obviously future open venues. We'll talk. We'll talk a lot about, or you'll hear a lot about, you know, uh, just open championship track records and how that pertains to a potential a guy's potential success this week. Um, if you kind of just zoom back one year, I don't think you could find a more different golf course in terms of off the tee strategy between St. Andrews and Hoy Lake. I mean, St. Andrews had some of the widest landing areas we'll see really in the history of golf or really on the planet in terms of golf courses. Um, and really was, again, like you didn't really have a ton of stress. Um, obviously there are pot buggers to avoid. There was a bit of fescue if you missed in the wrong spots, but in general, extremely generous to, uh, to driver guys could hit driver, um, Kind of wherever they wanted to, they could drop her off. And, and for many of those golf holes, it was a lot of them were, you know, driver flip wedge or even drive the green um, and have an equal putter and up and down for birdie. So here at Hoy Lake, though, obviously not as, not anywhere nearly as forgiving as we saw at St. Andrews last year. Um, Tiger and Rory pretty famously utilized their driving irons to great effect and extremely firm turf conditions in, 20, in 2006 and 2014. Uh, Tiger most famously hit just one driver in 72 holes in 2006 when the course was extremely baked out. He hit a ton of two irons, uh, hit 85% of his fairways, and um, obviously won that golf tournament on the back of that you know elite driving accuracy. Um, now, the course does look significantly lusher this year. Um, a lot of kind of recent rain in the area um, and just an inability for the course to really bake out the, um, the fairways. I think will lead to softer landing areas and could well incentivize some of the field's longer hitters into taking driver more in their hands than we've seen at past Owens in the Hoy Lake. Um, and, you know, although the landing areas should be more forgiving in their current states, um, like there's still a reason Tiger only hit one driver in 72 holes. Like there is a ton of trouble um, around the rural Liverpool to those that, um, that miss wildly uh, deep pop bunkers adorned the edges of most fairways. 
um, and will provide true one-shot penalties for most players that enter them. Uh, pockets of thick, tall gorse bushes that we saw last year at St. Andrews to an extent are extremely prevalent on the front nine particularly, and perhaps most notably seven of the drives at Hoylake come with some threat of out-of-bounds, of out uh, which would be a re-tee. Um, and a really, really a huge detriment to, you know, your overall round, your ability to score. So um, although I don't think players will have the same option to hit a ton of driving irons around Royal Liverpool this week, just based on the, the lack of firmness in the conditions and the fact that the, the course has been lengthened and you're not getting the same run out with a driving iron or a fairy wood, you're going to, you know, guys aren't going to want to hit 220 yard approach shots in most cases. Um, you know, this, the same the same aversion to avoiding these hazards is still going to be absolutely paramount. So you're still um, – so for me this week, I, I actually tend to have a high, much higher emphasis on total driving than I typically endorse on the Lynx course. Um, you know, you talk about places like Renaissance Club and St. Andrews, even Royal St. George's to an extent. You know, you had a lot of just decent amount of room off the tee and generally firmer conditions that open up options for players uh, to club down and use the ground to compensate for a lack of distance. Uh, this week, um, I think a player that can utilize driver to both push the ball further down the fairway – and avoid the hazards will give themselves a huge leg up, uh, in my opinion. And this is one of the main reasons why I think this open championship venue isn't maybe nearly as conducive to long shot winners as we've seen in opens past. Um, as many of the players at the top of the total driving charts are also the same thoroughbreds we see at the top of the odds boards um, every week. Um, I will say, and this is probably no surprise from what I've seen or said so far, but as we kind of assess player profiles from down the board, um, basically the part of the board when you get past a point where you know, you're going to have a lot of elite total drivers of the golf ball, um, and you kind of have to pick between being long and straight. I would still lean towards accuracy. I still think of objective A around Hoylake is keeping the ball out of the multitude of hazards in front of you. Um, and anyone I can't trust to consistently keep themselves out of trouble, I think takes a pretty significant hit to a stock this week. Um, moving on to iron play. Uh, I'm going to keep this pretty straightforward. Uh, three out of four par threes here play over 190. Seven par fours uh, play over 450, and two par fives play over 600. All of this plus, you know, generally soft conditions that mitigate distance spells out um, long iron play. If I were to map out the approach ranges, I see at least eight to 10 shots coming from outside 175. Um, and these greens are nowhere near the commonly large targets we saw at St. Andrews. You're going to have to hit plenty of five, six, and seven irons and a really small targets this week. Uh, and so strokes can approach and proximity for 175 plus are essential stats. Uh, success for me. Um Moving on into kind of the greens in the short game area, I'm going to kind of uh, leech off of one of my favorite Twitter follows uh, over the past kind of few months, uh, our boy Michael Kim on Twitter, uh, obviously touring pro that's playing the Open Championship this week. Um, he's done an awesome job of kind of delivering um, an in-depth course breakdown and kind of his thoughts as a touring professional and his preparation to just the general Twitter audience. Um, and so I'm going to take these this quote directly from Michael Kim uh, regarding the greens at Royal Liverpool. Uh "Quote unquote, the greens are the greens are pretty simple. Uh, not much slope to them, honestly. They just have a lot of runoffs on most of the sides, so it's important to hit the middle of the green or shape it in the correct way. The putts themselves, especially when greens are wet on a slow slide, don't have a ton of break. It'll be interesting to see who puts well on these because there's not a whole lot of a whole lot of imagination required, uh, like you'd see at Augusta National." End quote. Um, now, whenever I see kind of quotes like this, I mean. It's, it's a contentious issue, I think, in, in kind of golf, just Twitter, golf gambling, Twitter in general. Um, but when I, again, see slow, flat greens, 
I, I'm of the belief that they tend to have a normalizing effect on good and bad putters and really just short game players in general. Um, you know, you, you talk about greens with simpler reads, not having a great deal of break, a reduced emphasis on touch and feel. Um, just, you know, if you, it's, it's, a, it, they're greens where if you maybe hit it a little bit too heavy, if you're a little bit too heavy handed with a putt, it's not going to roll by eight, 10 feet. Maybe you only have a four foot comebacker. Um, and, you know, just in general, less variability with outcomes, especially around the green, right? It's much easier if you're, if you play golf, right? It's a much easier proposition to chip around the greens and be aggressive with chip shots if you know the ball's going to stop uh, for you. Whereas, you know, when greens start to get glassy and slick, you have to, you have to be pretty damn pure around the greens to, to impart enough spin to be able to stop the ball and, and control your distance. So, in general, I'm going to largely, um, I'm going to largely, again, mitigate a lot of my short game and putting stats. I am still looking at kind of long-term samples on on small, on on slower green complexes, sand saves as well, just because um, yeah, the pop bunkers here are still going to be require a lot of you know a lot of skill to get out of. But in in comparison, especially to a regular week on in like a major championship, like we saw at Augusta National and LACC, like I don't think. Uh, short game and putting will be as much of a separator as, as we saw. Excuse me there. So um, again, this is a pretty, uh, this is a pretty imprecise like part of the handicapping process to me as we don't really have a lot of slow flat putting services to draw on uh, from like the archives of professional golf, but on a golf course where I'm putting so much emphasis on just ball striking in general with mid to long iron play and total driving, I'm willing to de-emphasize putting and short game stats and, and just kind of trust my lineup of, elite ball strikers to separate themselves um, in, other, in other parts of the game. So that is my general outlook on Roll Liverpool this week. Just a final rundown of my key stats in the model. Um, yeah, you guys can pretty much guess it. Total driving uh, takes up 25% of my, my weighting this week. Uh, slight emphasis on accuracy over distance, but um, a huge leg up for me for guys that can hit uh, the ball both far and straight. I think it'll be a much more driver-heavy golf course than we saw in 2006 or 2014. Uh, stroke scan approach and proximity over 175 takes up another 35 or 40%. Um, I am looking at kind of recent open championships and just major championship resume in general. I do want to see a steady drum beat of progression um, or at least, or at least past success or past just proof that you could get it done on the biggest stage. Um, again, a bit of intangible there, but yeah, I am looking at a bit of major championship, open championship, uh, just general aptitude and difficult scoring distance. And then finally, proficiency, obviously, in windy conditions. You know, you just never really know um, when winds are going to pop up around here. It doesn't look like to this point there's going to be a significant wave advantage on Thursday and Friday, but it does seem like Saturday and Sunday have the potential to be, you know, 20, 25, 30-mile-an-hour wind gusts. Um, and one of the more notable things about rural Liverpool is how flat it is and how exposed it is to the wind. It's right on the coast um, of the Irish Sea. So if, uh, you know, if wind does become a factor here, like there's really nowhere to hide on this golf course. So you're going to be able to, you're going to have to be able to flight the ball. You're going to have to be able to manipulate shot shape and, and make do in the wind um, if it does pop up. So those would be my main kind of stats. Again, very heavy on ball striking, uh, less emphasis on short game. And as a result, you probably won't be surprised to see who's in the top kind of five or six of my model. Number one, Scotty Scheffler. Number two, Victor Hovland. Number three, Colin Morikawa. Number four, John Rahm. Number five, Rory McIlroy. Number six, Patrick Cantley. Absolutely no, absolutely no surprises yet. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood comes in at seven. Xander Shoffley at eight. Tony Finau at nine. Gary Woodland at ten. Uh, Brooks Kepka is eleven, but that is a pretty small sample size. 
only a 12 round sample in the last 12 months. So take that with a bit of a grain of salt, just as far as statistically, uh, Shane Lowry comes at 12, uh, 13 is Siwoo Kim. Tyrrell Hatton is 14. Hideki Matsuyama, Ricky Fowler, Wyndham Clark, Justin Rose, Tom Kim, Corey Connor. So a lot of ball strikers, as you would probably expect, but that's the lane I'm kind of leaning towards this week. And, um, yeah, I'm kind of sticking with that. That's that's what I've kind of landed on. If um, if a guy like Cam Smith or someone like that wants to gain 10 or 12 strokes putting and beat me that way, so be it. But I'm, I'm of the belief that an elite ball striker, I think, carries a pretty significant leg up on the rest of the field this week. Well, it's certainly going to be interesting, right? Because like, like you said, there's so many different factors at play with this course in general. I mean, even just seeing the course and seeing those nine hole or the – I think it's a nine out of 14 or something like that have what did I read earlier? Sorry. Nine or six of the 14 have like out of bounds. Yeah. Um, those are, are excluding the part threes, obviously, but yeah. Um, have like the out of bounds in play. So, you know, obviously that's where your total driving comes into, into play, but yeah, super, super interesting course. Like you said, a lot of different factors, um, but should create for a really, really fun weekend. Did I miss um, a name that I was kind of – well, never mind. I'll save it for later. But I, I didn't hear a guy in your top 20-year model that was kind of surprised, so I'll remind me to bring that up later. But let's go ahead and go to the odds board. So let me pull this up. There it is. All right, no surprise between the odds board um, and what we've seen over the last probably month or two. Uh, but we got Rory and Scotty at the top, 7.5 to 1 a piece on these guys. Obviously, Roy's price being a little bit uh, boosted by the win last week. Scotty with being just plainly the best player in the world over the last year. Uh, but was there any thought? Such a short price. So many different factors. I assume probably not at this price. But uh, I guess if you had to pick one, where do you lean? Um, it's 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 tough because I I'm. Very, very confident that at least one of these two guys will be like in the mix deep on Sunday. Um, just everything that I'm, I've been looking at, everything that I'm weighing. Rory's been on one of the better ball striking runs of his entire career. Um, you know, I mean, he's now with his win in Scotland. I think he's now had seven straight top ten finishes, run up at the U.S. Open, obviously one here at Hoylake um, in 2014. I mean, everything seems to be shaping up perfectly for Rory. I mean, this is about as confident I think as I've ever been in Rory going into a major championship. And it seems as if the numbers starting to drift a little bit. Like these, these two at the start of the week were pretty far apart. There was a clear tier one with Rory, like six, six and a half to one. And Scotty was kind of hanging around nine or 10 to one. Uh, it seems like this is kind of normalized, which is kind of what I would more so what, what I would have projected at the start of the week. Like when I was building my odds board um, kind of on Sunday night, Monday morning, I, I kind of had these two in a pretty much dead heat. Um, but I would say the tiebreaker for me comes down to what I'm winning the most, which is total driving. Like, I, I really, really want you to be a reliable, long, overall elite driver of the golf ball. And for me, Scotty Scheffler is the best driver we have in the game right now. Um, you know, still to this day, one of the six best or one of the six players in this field, Roy McIlroy, not included as one of those. Uh, six that right inside the top 15 in both my key proximity ranges from 175 to 200 and from 200 plus. We know about Scotty's proficiency around the greens. Um, and like I said, I, I do think that slower, flatter greens will normalize the putting a little bit with Scotty. So um, for me, it's just hard to find a box that Scheffler doesn't really check. Um, I mean, it kind of sucks that I missed the nine and the 10 on, on Monday morning just because 
I've been on kind of the Scheffler train for for the better part of the last two or three months, just kind of beating the drum that he's going to win something big. This feels like a really, really good spot to deploy Scotty. Um, and yeah, like I, I don't really think either of these two are bad bets at seven and a half to one. Like you can have your preferences. I think the, the differences are razor thin. Um, like in a hypothetical in a hypothetical matchup between the two at like minus one ten each, like I really wouldn't have a strong lean either way. So um yeah, I, I'm of the opinion that at least one of these two, if not both, will be right there in the mix. And um it really came down to just some of the numbers I found down the board. Like kind of like we said last week where you have to pick your spots and you have to assess kind of how you feel about the next range or two or three ranges kind of from 15 down to 40 to one uh, to make a decision for you in terms of car construction. And um, obviously I've got a lot of guys that I really like kind of in that range. And so I've decided to scatter shot a bit more rather than kind of going all in on a Scotty or Rory at, at seven after one, but cannot fault uh, anybody for doing it. I know a couple of people I respect our boy Byron's uh, pretty much all in on Rory this week. Um, one of my, good friends andy uh andy lack also big on scotty this week so um yeah i can't really say anything bad about either one of them it's one of those weeks where um i wouldn't even mind if you wanted to maybe throw a hedge at, at a top 10 or top five on on these guys as well uh if you're playing maybe some prop markets and stuff like that i know FanDuel and all those books have you know like uh top 20 insurance bets of like if these guys finishes at the top 20 you get your money back uh i think these are probably the two clear names to, to go with just because like the floor ceiling combination is so stable, both these guys. And um, like I said, I fully anticipate if you're not betting one of these two, like you're going to have to overcome at least one to, to catch the player jug on Sunday. Yeah. And it sure feels like, you know, what Rory has fixed in his game over the last few months, you know, still remains kind of a struggle for Scotty, which is the putting game. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and I've heard a lot about the putting this week could be like short game in general, obviously could be, I know it's not something we typically weigh, but it's yeah. going to be important at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, you're, uh, going to to, you're going to have to make your putts. Um, and I would say, yeah, I mean, Rory's definitely the guy of the two of them that you would trust over, you know, an eight-footer, ten-footer down the stretch to, uh, to clinch a tournament or whatever. But I will say that I were, that's like the only part of the game where I wouldn't trust Scotty. You know, like, like obviously, we know about the Achilles here when Scheffler has, has been the putter. But, you know, Rory's not without faults. Like I said last – Sunday at the, at the Renaissance Club, even though he did close the deal in Scotland, it wasn't exactly the most like convincing, like clinical performance. He hit 25% of his fairways on Sunday. Um, and, you know, Renaissance Club is a place where you can kind of afford to spray it around. He kind of kept a little lucky breaks on, um, you know, kind of landing on, you know, wayward drives, landing on trample down airs that he was still able to access greens from. But yeah, it was far from like your, like, it was far from the performance that inspires like a great deal of confidence. I still saw a little bit of like the same hiccups we've been seeing for Rory for quite some time. But that being said, we haven't seen Scheffler close the deal since the players championship in March. So, you know, we've kind of been, both these guys have kind of been in equal stature where they just hang around every week. And it feels like they're not converting at the rate you would expect from a typically elite player. So, um, so yeah, I mean, not, not without warts. And that's obviously a lot of the reason why maybe I went away from them, but, um, scary propositions, to say the least. There's no, there's no fades at seven after one. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about um, the next the three guys under twenty to one here. So we've got John Rom, Cam Smith, and Brooks Kepka. So two live guys, one PGA Tour guy. John Rom, man, it feels like we've, I feel like I haven't even seen him in a few weeks. I guess he just hasn't been playing. 
Um, and then obviously Cam, you know, we've seen him kind of lurk here and there. And then Brooks has just been an absolute menace at the majors. So um, we do have a bet in this range, but I do think this range is also very, actually we have two bets in this range, but it's also a very interesting range just in general. So let's hear it. Yeah. I mean, I think obviously my top two bets, my top two positions are in this range and also probably the clearest fade of anybody in this range for me. Uh, I think for, it's kind of consensus on golf Twitter. I mean, just, just seeing how much trouble around Hoylake and knowing the general profile of this player, uh, Cam Smith at 16, 18 to one. I, I can't see anyone. I mean, I, I can't get behind that. Like really at all. Like I, I have, I, I've never had this little of interest in a player below 20 to one, um, or at least in quite some time. Again, I, I'm weighing total driving so heavily and Cam Smith, Coming in off a win on the Live Tour, he won uh, Live London at the, at the Centurion Club, uh, but notably finished, I think, dead last in that field, and driving accuracy was really having a lot of trouble keeping control of his driver uh, around the Centurion Club. And we know Cam Smith can just defy all statistical analysis. And, I um, mean, this is a guy that won the Players' Championship, losing six shots off the tee and gaining, like, 12 shots putting. Um, so, look, I mean, he's an elite player. He's It's not out of the question that Cam Smith can find his way to the top of the leaderboard, but... Um, I was much more interested in Cam Smith, like at LACC or maybe even next spring in the masters. Like, I just don't really think this is the spot for him with everything I know about Hoy Lake. Um, if like, there's one guy in the top 10 of this field that like you could just see on Thursday morning, just having to hack it out of, you know, Gorse Bush or, uh, just off the beaten path. Like this is just not a golf course that, um, you can afford to be way with the driver. I think last year at the open championship, like he was the biggest beneficiary of, it being played at St. Andrews kind of when it was just being in the form that he was in coupled that with the fact that St. Andrews is a place that you really don't have to worry about where you hit it off the tee all that much. Uh, he could spray it wherever and then rely on kind of a second shot and beyond. Um, so to do the damage and again, there's just not a lot of crossover. I don't think between these two golf courses. So I, I this is not a, this is kind of hot take by any means. I don't think you'll really find anybody on golf Twitter. That's um, that's in on cam Smith. Um, and so certainly not at 16, 18 to one. Uh, but I do have two clicks as we, as we live through in this range. Uh, the first of which is, is John Wom. I've, I bet him at 16 to one. Uh, you could find that on a bookmaker last night. That's, that's part of the reason why I posted my card kind of so early in the week was for they all to get access to those numbers. He's now down to 14 to one um, you know, pretty much across the board. So still, I think a really solid number on, on John Rom. but look, I will be the first to admit that, in my initial scouting of this of this golf course and just looking back at kind of recent the last three weeks or so, like we haven't seen John Rahm since he missed the cut with Travelers. So this was not a name that came to the top of my mind when kind of scouting uh, for my plays this week. But um, 16 to one will just never be not a compelling number on a guy that I see as one of the best ball strikers all around on the PJ tour, particularly when you talk about driving, when you talk about his middle long irons, uh, Rom is one of just two players that rates inside the top five, ranking fifth and first in my two proximity ranges, my two key proximity ranges from 175 to 200 and 200 plus. He's a better long iron player than Scotty Scheffler in a 50 round sample. He's also a better total driver than Roy McIlroy in 2023. So the two main ball striking stats that I'm looking at, like John Rom checks those with flying colors. We know about driver or we know about Rom's proficiency with the driver. His long iron play is, I mean, legitimately elite. I mean, probably in my opinion, the best long iron play we have in the field. And then, I mean, you couple those two things with the fact that he's probably of the top three names in the pro game right now. He's probably the most reliable putter of the three, right? Like I trust Rom over a six, eight, 10 footer. 
uh, more so than Scotty, obviously, and then even more so than Rory in recent stats. He's actually inside the top 10 over the last six months in strokes game putting. Um, and that, I mean, if, if I were to kind of grit out the three stats that I want this week, I want total driving, long iron play, and reliable putting. And Rom kind of passes all the, those three of those things with flying colors. I know that if you kind of shrink the sample size down to the last two months, like it's not ideal. Um, but I'm willing to bank on the long-term pedigree of Rom, um, and especially at, at a discount like this. I mean, I, I just never am going to be on the train of like Roy having a two times better shot to win a major championship than, than John Rom is. So I will say that that if you're in the prop market and you're not really looking to bet outrights and you're not looking to, um, you know, kind of bank on this long-term value proposition that I'm seeing, um, I will say that probably Roy's got a, a safer propositions to finish T8 than Rom. I think there's a wider range of outcomes in, in John's profile. Um, but if the top end talent does show up to, to roll over pull, I don't think there's a more fearsome name in the game uh, to contend with. Like if you're holding a Rory or Scotty ticket, like you, you are hoping that Rom uh, starts slow and is, is out of the mix early because he's a name that I think as soon as he shows any signs of life, like, and he shows, we see that little bit of confidence kind of come into his walk. Um, he's all of a sudden very loud to be one of the favorites uh, this week. So yeah, 16 to one, not a number I expected. I, I, when I was building my kind of pre-tournament odds board, I thought we'd see, you know, six to eight to ones on Rory and Scotty, uh, maybe like an 11 to one or 12 to one on Rom. And then we move on like Cam Smith and Kepka, but 16 is my, my breaking point on, on Rombo for sure. And then we move on to, <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of mentioned Rom was maybe the most fierce name in the world on a, on a, you know, on the first page of a leaderboard in a major championship. I probably overlooked one name, which is Brooks Kepka. Um, I mean, after his open championship or after his PGA championship triumph at Oak Hill, I didn't really think there was any way we'd get a comparable, a comparable number to the 22 to one tickets we saw cast right all across golf Twitter. But, um, you know, he was priced right, right alongside Rory and Scotty in LA. And, you know, we were both verbally pretty skeptical about his focus heading into, you know, trying to win back-to-back majors just one month apart. Um, and although, you know, he might've been a, a disappointment to his outright backers, I didn't see anything in his USF performance to indicate that he should be, dropped all the way back to the originators point in terms of his number. I mean, he's 25 to one on some spots now, pretty much 20, 22 to one across the board um, on most books I'm looking at, but he gained over eight shots from T to green at LACC finished 17th, notably followed that up with a third, a solo third place finish at Valderrama on the live tour. Uh, Valderrama for those that don't know, was a, it was a regular stop on the European tour for many, many years, but it's an extremely tight golf course puts in, puts a large, large emphasis on driving accuracy Kepka dominated that course off the tee, led the field in total driving um, at Valderrama that week. <clears throat> and now in a 10-start stretch from Orlando to London uh, since the start of April, Brooks has two wins, three top threes, no finishes worse than 17th. Uh, he's gained 9.9, 10.7, and 4.5 shots ball striking through his three major championship starts. And with four top 10 finishes over his last six open championship starts, he's got, he's about as, he has about as good of an open resume as anybody uh, especially even at the top of this board. So um, if he's healthy and he's feeling himself, and I mean, if you watched live at the open all day long, you might've seen Brooks kept his press conference. The dude is like, he's in peak Brooks form. Like this, like his press conference today kind of reminded me of like that, <laughs> like I'm too cool for this shit mentality that he had in 2018, 2017. Um, and so 25 to one in a major championship. I'm, I'm never passing up on that. So um yeah, if you if you listen to this podcast on a week-to-week basis, we'll get to some of the names kind of just past Brooks and Rom on the betting board. Uh, there are a lot of names that I liked 
whether it be Hatton, whether it be Cantley, whether it be Xander, whether it be Fleetwood, Fowler, right? There's a lot of names that rate out quite well, uh, but we're we're betting to win the Open Championship, right? And, and actually, I kind of want to say something about what Chris did uh, this past weekend um, with a solo podcast, but uh, listened to kind of his solo show when I wasn't able to make it when he talked about Loudon. Um, you know, he, he said something about Truex on that solo show that, that rang true for me this week uh, in the final major, right? He talked about, obviously, if you listened to last week's show, there was two clear guys at the top. It was Truex, it was Bell, both long-term, great long-term profiles at Loudon. Both had incredible practice splits with a clear top two in the eyes of bookmakers. And we went to, Chris didn't really look at all that. He looked at, who do I trust to get across the line, right? Like, who, who do I think is actually going like who do I actually want to put my money in and, and and trust to win this race and get across the finish line and for me in a major championship you need to factor in some of those intangibles right like I love what we've seen statistically from some of these guys we're about to talk about in the 20 to 20 to 1 range but I think while they're all likely to have a solid week here or like I don't think this show is about who the best player is on the spreadsheet this is about who I trust in crunch time and unpredictable conditions to have the medal to pull off the shots it's going to take to lift a Claire jug. And so that's the tiebreaker I use this week. And it certainly helped to see a 25 to one on Brooks on, on Monday night. So Kepka Rom, I mean, I never thought in a million years I'd have both these two on the same betting card and still with room to spare. So super excited to have both these guys in the card. And then obviously uh, two more names to get to uh, as we've got to get past 20, 20 to one. Yeah. And to your point about Brooks press conference, like he very much was just like, yeah, like very stoic in his they, yeah. they ask, <laughs> yeah, yeah, dick. But like that's just when Brooks is feeling himself, like that's what you want to see, right? When they're not already taking on Brooks Kepka. Yeah. When they especially when they ask him about the new whole seventeen, him him and Maddie Fitzpatrick's answers about the whole new the new whole seventeen were hilarious because uh Brooks is just like Yeah, I mean, it just is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then yeah. Maddie Fitz was like it's interesting. That's all I got to say about that. Like both of them just gave like the shortest possible answer, like giving the reporters nothing. Yeah. Um, so anyways, yeah, I love the start of this card. Like you said, does, does do Roy and Scotty really hold double the chances or triple the chances to win over Raman? I don't think these two, these are two of the like meanest dudes on the, on the tour. Well, can we say that on the tour, whatever they are in golf, we'll just say yeah. it that way. <laughs> um, so yeah, this is a uh, fantastic start to the card. But yeah, the twenties, man, the twenties make things even more interesting. We've got Victor Hovland at twenty to one, Fowler at twenty two, Cantley at twenty five, Tommy Fleetwood at twenty five, Terrell at twenty five, and Xander at twenty five. Uh, we've got, I think, just one bet in this range, uh, but a lot of interesting guys to talk about, right? Because Cantley is a guy that we've been betting a lot lately. We had him last week at the Scottish Open. Fleetwood, a guy I feel like has been on the precipice of being on our card. Um, and just co- hasn't quite made it, but a, a guy that's very good in the wind. We know that. Yeah. Um, same with Terrell. Um, yeah, just a lot, a lot of interesting names here, but we do have one bet in this range, so I'll let you talk about that guy. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is – I think this range is like your stat nerd's dream. Like if you model golf and you run spreadsheets and run stroke scan analysis, like it's inevitable that you're going to like Victor Hovland, that you're going to like Ricky Fowler that you're going to like Patrick Cantley, Tommy Fleetwood, these guys, what they've done over the last three, four, five months has been incredible. And I think for me, a lot of this range just comes down to what I said earlier about like, like 
I like them. I like their fit at Hoylake. I like what I've seen from them. I think they might be coming with some better lead in form than some of the guys I've already bet, but it comes down to inherent trust. It comes down to do I envision you lifting the clear jug on Sunday? And for a lot of these guys, I think I would like them in almost every sense except for the discussion we're having now, right? Like if you if you want to come here and if you want to come over here and sell me on Ricky Fowler top ten or or Terrell Hatton top ten or Patrick Cantley top ten, like I'm on board with all of that. Um, and and I think if I had to choose one outside, obviously the guy that I did bet, which is Victor Hovland, I think Cantley would, would be my favorite. I know uh, our boy John in the group chat I think has a has a bet on Cantley. Um, my boy, you. yeah, and and Chris also does after his Chastain win. I remember he put a couple open championship futures in, which I think Cantley like this is a damn good fit for Pat. Like he's a guy that slow green complexes has, has historically performed really, really well. He is the best total driver of the golf ball on the PGA tour. Better than Scotty Scheffler, better than John Rahm, better than Victor Hovland. Like Cantley with a driver has been lethal in 2023. Um, I mean, not as prolific of a long iron play as, as guys like Rahm and Hovland, et cetera, but you know, certainly, certainly well above average in that respect. And just doesn't have a lot of holes in this game. Like, Finished T8 last week, last year at the Open Championship, so he does have maybe a bit of possible momentum going forward. Finished inside the top 12 and I think six of his last nine major starts. Um, so it seems like the the breadcrumbs are kind – he's kind of starting to go along that path of like finally breaking through. The one thing for me is just the fact that we haven't seen him like in the mix. You know, like it's been a lot of like 66s on Sunday to kind of back his way into a T9, right? And so – he hasn't been, you know, I've, I've been the first to, to back Cantley. I've been one of his biggest supporters. I mean, really all of golf Twitter kind of has, but I've been right alongside them in terms of, you know, calling the win for PC. And if it comes in a major championship at 25 to one, um, I'm just going to have to eat it. I'll have to, I'll celebrate with uh, some friends I know that have uh, the tickets, but, um, but yeah, I mean, if you're giving me Brooks at 25 and, and Patrick Cantley at 25, I'm, I'm never taking Cantley. So um, again, I, I like a lot of these guys in like a T10, T20 capacity. Um, not quite there on the outright. Um, but the one guy that I do like the most is, is Victor Hovland. Uh, 25 to 1. One year removed from maybe um, the genesis of Victor Hovland's major progression. Excuse me. I, I think nobody in world golf in, in the last 12 months has grown their profile more than Vic has, especially in the biggest events on the calendar. Um, of course, you know, San Andrews 2022 was the first time really, we really got to see Hovland um, in the crossfire of major championship contention was in the final group with Rory on Sunday, fired a 74, finished fourth, not a lot of positives to take away, but then carried their momentum forward, finished seventh in the Masters, a, a, a golf course that he really didn't have a ton of positive success at. You know, everyone just talked about the fact that, dude, short game's bad. I mean, the Masters emphasizes, like, it will expose you if you do not have a pure short game. Um, I was one of those people passed him on the 40 to one was first round leader. And for most of kind of Saturday, Sunday, he looked like maybe the, the best contender, the closest contender we had outside of Raman Kepka uh, for a lot of that tournament. Again, finished seventh. I thought it was a, was a really possible performance there. And then came kill, which I thought was maybe the turning point of, of, of Hovland as, you know, a, a legit threat in a major championship. He went in my opinion, blow for blow with Kepka on that Sunday uh, got the lead to within one with uh, with three holes to play, and then five, and of course um, left the ball in the fairway bunker on 16 that kind of sealed his fate. But um, I think that all those experiences kind of led him to the payoff that we all saw at Mirfield Village, a golf course that's 
played as I mean, it played tougher than the U.S. Open at LACC. It played, I think, it tied the winning score tied the winning score we saw at the PGA Championship. Right, it played harder than the Masters. Um, and you know, we saw a different Holland, right? A guy that's been notoriously undisciplined, a guy that's really kind of struggled when conditions get firing fast and he's not hitting every green. And we saw just a masterclass on that Sunday of, of overcoming brutally difficult conditions, just elite driving around an extremely penal golf course, super reliable mid iron, mid to long iron play, clutch putting when he needed it. Um, so this is just when I look at kind of the next generation, when I look at the second tier um, of golfers, like this is the exact progression that I would draw up when projecting a future major champion. Um, and Royal Liverpool Pro looks like as great of a fit as you could find uh, for Holland, right? Elite driving that I've already talked about, check mark, right? Fifth in total driving in the entire PGA Tour in 2023 when, when combining driving distance and driving accuracy, mid to long iron play. I mean, come on, Hovland, just one of two players outside of Rom being the other that ranks inside the top five in both my key proximity models. He gained, he just gained 2.6 shots around the green in Scotland last week. Uh, and his other two best around the green starts of the year came with the other two major championships, right? The PGA Championship and the US Open gained 2.6 and 2.7 shots around the greens. He's no longer a complete liability um, in that spot. Actually rates inside the top 25 in sand saves too. So that bunker play has really improved. We've seen some clear progressions in that part of the game. And the putter is just, I mean, it's rock solid. We've talked about this for for quite some time now as Hoblin being just a guy that you can rely on down the stretch to make an eight or 10 footer um, when, when all the chips are in the middle. So I just think the time is coming for Hovland when you just compare him next to his peers in this 20 to 25 to one range. I just, I think he's further along, even though he might be younger than the Hatton, younger than the Cantley. Like he just, this is exact kind of path that you see for major champions um, year in, year out. And I think he's taken his lumps. I think he's finally overcome um, kind of the, the elements at a golf course that played very much like a major championship down the stretch. Um, and we're getting 25 to one on a guy that, you know, no one will argue with the talent no one will argue the fact that he's going to win a major championship very, very soon. Uh, so for me, unless I see significant red, red flags in this profile coming in, um, I'm more than willing to just take shots, blind shots on Hovland at 25 to one um, in every major going forward. So Hovland's my pick. Uh, but like I said, a uh, ton of positive to draw from guys like Ricky, guys like Fleetwood, um, Canley, I think all have nice cases to have a good week. Top 20, top 10, don't mind it at all, but, uh, if I'm picking who's going to win this golf tournament from this range, it's it's Victor Hovland. Yeah, I was actually just about to comment on the same thing, right? It's like, it almost feels like, um, I don't even know who the example is, like a Kevin Harvick in NASCAR, right? Like, may not have the race wing speed from week to week, but you can almost guarantee him to get a top 10 every week. That's kind of what it feels like on Cantley right now, and Fleetwood for that matter. Like, those might be my top 10 plays. Yeah. Because um, I've been kind of hitting some props in the golf market lately. I know we're going to talk about some a little bit later. Yeah. Um but yeah, absolutely love Hovland. Uh, it does feel like he has turned a really big corner this year. And the fact that we're still getting 20 to ones on a guy that's hosted a trophy like very recently, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's pretty, it's pretty insane. So yeah, agreed on this one. So let's move our way into the thirties and our last guy on the outright card, but we do have three guys listed in thirties. We got Colin Morikawa, Dustin Johnson and Jordan Spieth. Again, another, I feel like, crazy in range to to kind of break down here heavy hitters heavy hitters i i like a lot of these guys for different reasons spieth when you look at just pure open championship track record and just like just confidence in these type of score conditions um like spieth leads this field since 2016 and gained in the open championship um in this particular golf tournament now the the recent form like if you want to talk to me like about how spieth was playing 
two, three months ago, right, when he went on that stretch of fourth John Palmer, sixth in Phoenix, third the Valspar, fifth in the Masters, second the Heritage, fifth the Memorial. Like, I would have had a lot more gusto in my I – w- like, I would have never thought Spieth would be 35-1 to one at the Open. Uh, the problem is, right, since kind of that start at Memorial, missed two straight cuts at the US Open, had a pretty ugly missed cut last week in, in Scotland, and it just – doesn't really feel like it's kind of all there for Spieth. I would I would kind of f- echo a similar sentiment about about Shoffley, where I actually think the Open is a is a pretty good fit for both these guys. It just doesn't really feel like we're seeing them at their peak form uh, in terms of like the the play required to win an Open Championship. I think they could sneak up and maybe grab a top twenty or top ten. But um, but yeah, despite the the discount we're getting on Spieth, I'm much more interested in the in the, in the other two. Uh, DJ was a guy that just barely missed my car. I would say if I if I didn't catch the ROM 16, if we were getting such a, I think in my opinion, just horrendous discount on ROM um, at the top of the board, I would have probably landed on DJ and maybe like a Cantley to, to round my card out. Um, but man, John, DJ's playing some damn good golf and it's going a little bit um, under the radar, right? Obviously he's on the live tour now, but this is a guy that finished T10. At the U.S. Open, gained over four shots off the tee. He gained over five shots on approach. He gained nearly four shots around the green tee. Was third in that field uh, from tee to green. He was absolutely striping the golf ball. Uh, follows that up with a T8 finish at Valderrama, a solo fifth in London. Uh, one in, in um, Live Tulsa earlier this year as well. And you, when you talk about just major championship track record, open championship track record especially, <laughs> T6, T8 uh, in his last two open starts. Uh, had a T12 here at Hoy Lake back in 2014. So he does. He's one of the few guys at the top of the South board that has a bit of experience uh, around Hoy Lake, a bit of possible experience that is. And so, yeah, I think I think 35 to 1 is just a really good number based on how DJ's playing. And uh, he's kind of just sneakily popped up the last few major championships. And I don't think he's going maybe as, as talked about as people, um, you know, as I think he should be at least. So um, I think he, he does maybe have a bit wider range of outcomes just because we, I don't know, I, I I just I wouldn't really trust DJ to, to bet him top twenty or anything like that. But if you're asking me like who's got the highest upside past 30, 40 to one, like I think Dustin is is certainly a compelling bet in, in this range. Um if you didn't want to go to the top, but of course I bet Colin Morkawa. Uh we got a thirty five to one. Um I think it was actually on Bovada on Monday morning it was the first click I made. You guys probably would have seen this coming, um, judging by his last start, but yeah, I mean, after Colin Morikawa fired a Sunday 64 to come solo set or to come, I guess, second to Ricky Fallon the Rocket Mortgage, I was kind of embracing for the inevitable free fall of his outright number, right? This is his first return to England since uh, he won the Open Championship in 2021 uh, at Royal St. George's. But he takes two off weeks for the John Deere, takes an off week at the um, Scottish Open, and all of a sudden, books have graciously pushed him back into the 30, 35 to 1 range. Um, and, man, like... I cannot emphasize how impressed I was by his round in Detroit. Like he was very, very clearly the best player on that golf course, in my opinion, especially in, in the last like two or three groups, uh, the guys that were actually in contention. Um, one thing I will say about Ricky, I, I kind of talked about Ricky in the same vein as a Cantley or a Hatton. Um, I've seen actually plenty of guys bet him to win at 22 to one, which kind of boggles my mind. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, look, we hit Ricky Fowler at 14 to one at the rocket mortgage classic. I'm, I'm all the way here for Ricky Fowler's comeback. I still think he's probably a, I think he's definitely a top 10 player in the world in terms of just reason for him, how, how guys are playing right now. But like, let's just kind of be honest with ourselves. Um, Ricky Fowler was not the best player on Sunday. Like we saw a lot of the kind of the same warts 
at Detroit that we saw at the U.S. Open. Like, it just so happened he was playing a bit more forgiving of a golf course, and uh, he kind of came in with, you know, a larger lead over guys like Colin who were surging behind him. Uh, but I saw a lot of pretty just, like, pretty concerning just – swings from Ricky down the stretch whenever the, you know, whenever the tension got higher and um, things got pretty tight, especially with the driver uh, down the stretch had a pretty, had a few pretty wayward misses right um, off the tee there. So I don't, I just don't see how, like, I look, I understand like it was a great story to win at the Rocket Mortgage to win Detroit, his, his first win since 2019. Um, I don't see how you come out of that week being like emboldened to bet Ricky Fowler at 22 to one to win the open championship. I just saw, I saw a lot of really concerning things around a pretty gettable golf course in Detroit on Sunday. I did not see that out of Colin Morcal. I saw a guy that was swinging free, a guy that was going after it. The guy that, a guy that knew he was the best player in that field. And frankly, I mean, he probably should have won that golf tournament regulation, hit a phenomenal putt on 18 that somehow lipped out on the high side with die speed. And then on 18 regular and in the playoff hits the ball. I mean, after Ricky blows it 60 yards right, I mean, he just hits a missile right down the middle. It's, in his words, a perfect nine iron that I think he was just a little bit juiced up from the adrenaline. Pitches maybe three yards longer than he thought it would, bounces over the back, and all of a sudden uh, he's chipping from behind the groom rather than having like a eight-foot birdie putt, right? So I don't I don't see any – I didn't see like a choke. This was not like a choke from Colin or anything like that. Like Ricky made a miraculous birdie from the right rough. But Colin made two phenomenal swings in that playoff, and – didn't miss a fairway on Sunday, was hitting his irons like we expect Colin Morikawa to hit his irons. And um, look, I mean, I, I'm I'm a homer, right? Like I'm the biggest Colin Morikawa fan you'll probably ever meet. And, you know, we bet him a lot on this podcast. But you'll notice that after I kind of touted him pretty heavily at Quail Hollow, he missed the cut there. I've been pretty skeptical on Colin's weekly projections week in, week out. I haven't bet him since that uh, missed cut that he had, he had in Charlotte, but – I can tell you right now, I'm as I'm as encouraged as I've been with Colin in, in some time. He's driving the ball at peak levels right now. He's gained over his last three starts. He's gained 8.5 shots cumulatively, and in, in those last 10 rounds, uh, that's his best 10 round stretch since the start of 2022, when he was, uh, you know, debatably the best player in the world at that point. Um, most notably, he's eliminating the left side of the golf courses, which is, which is the biggest key for Colin. Even in his interviews, he's talked about that plenty of times. Um, and you can just tell by the way he spoke, he spoke about his driver on Sunday in Detroit. Um, that club is absolutely dialed in for a player that's already inside the top five and driving actually on the PGA Tour. So I have no qualms about the driver right now. And then as per usual, you know, you, what you expect from Colin Morcal, the iron player is stellar. He's second to only Scotty Scheffler over the last 50 rounds in strokes gain approach. He's one of just six names to rate inside the top 15 in both my key proximity ranges. And, you know, it sounds silly, obviously, to call the Rocket Morgan a turning point in the season for a two-time major champion, right? That's a low-profile event. But it's just abundantly clear to me that Colin is is in as good of a spot heading into a major championship as I've seen in years. Um, and so we're getting 35-1, to 1, which I think is an objectively bad price. Like, I I do not understand why Ricky Fowler is 22-1 to 1 and Colin Morcal is 30 or 35-1. to 1. That makes absolutely no sense to me. Um, I'm – Betting him absolutely here. I might double up. I feel so, so confident he's going to have a good week. And I'm probably betting him in his next start in Memphis as well. Like, I think I think big things are coming for Colin. It's been way too long since we've gotten the win. He seems motivated. He seems confident. And, like, there's no doubt, like, when he's playing his best, he's a top five player in the world. So, um, yeah, that's my spiel. Trust me, I, I've become a bit more cynical than I maybe ever have on Colin over the last kind of six months. Um, 
but man, it, it all kind of points to him having a real, real nice weekend around Hoy League. So, um, yeah, that'll be, that'll be what I'm riding with. Um, I really want to see it. I mean, that's, that goes without saying, but, um, like I said, it, all the numbers point to it. If you listen to his interviews, it just, it, it really feels like he's, he's in a good place right now, which is, uh, what I like to see. So that's, that's all I got. And not that this is like a secret to anybody either, but, or, Maybe that's the best best way to phrase it. Not that this is like surprising information, right? I think every player wants to win every week, but uh, there's a lot of people that were giving Colin a lot of criticism for when Ricky did win. Like Colin didn't really have like a reaction. He was kind of like on the side of the green, just kind of like took his hat off, didn't really clap, didn't really like. But you gotta imagine, like just like you said, right? He hit a perfect nine iron, and he had one bad shot that potentially cost him the tournament, and he was that close to kind of breaking that. Yeah, winless streak. So like, of course he's going to be dejected. Of course he's going to beat himself up. Like he's, yeah. up, you know, like. So I hated that people were taking that as like, oh wow, Colin, what a dick. Like Ricky finally <laughs> won. Like, come on, yeah. like, this is like these are professional athletes that second is the first loser. So yeah. uh, you got to think that he's, although he's taking a lot of positives in that week, you know, he's going to be for sure wanting to get revenge on the fact that he was one shot away from taking a tournament down. So. Yeah, I mean, especially the fact that he he. By his own admission, he said, like, like he didn't do anything wrong in that playoff. Like, yeah. I, I, I've watched a lot of Colin Morikawa over the last – since he's come on tour, last three years or so, four years or so. I've never seen him walk after an iron shot. Like, when that iron shot – because like, we didn't get to talk after the Rocket Mortgage. Like, when that iron shot in the playoff was in the air and Colin Morikawa was walking after it, I was like, oh, fuck. Like, this is in the hole. Um, it was right at it, right? And we knew that if you landed just a few – yards long with the amount of spin these greens were, were generating like it was going to rip back to the hole probably be inside three or four feet and then ricky had to make his probably 12 footer to win the playoff and uh i mean like like i said like that was the first time i've ever seen colin like walk off like it looked like a tiger-esque moment was in the making and of course it it, it lands a few yards long and, and it uh settles in the rough so um yeah, I didn't. I didn't see that criticism. I, I did notice that though. I did notice that Hadwin was clearly the more ordeal <laughs> yeah. uh, loser of of the playoff to, to Ricky. Um, but this is a guy like Colin is long sided Tiger is his like his only inspiration and like like it should it be a surprise the guy that looked up to Tiger's entire life is like a little bit sour that he got you know in his in his opinion. I mean, look, it's easy for us on golf Twitter because we all had Fowler tickets. We all wanted Ricky to win to get that monkey off his back. But like Colin doesn't give a fuck if Ricky Fowler wins. You know, like Colin's not a Ricky Fowler fan. Like he wants he like you said, he wants to be the best player in the world again or one of the best players in the world again. And he thought he he missed a golden chance. So um yeah, like I said, I'm I'm so excited to watch him tee off. I'm gonna try to watch every shot he hits. Um, because I've I haven't been this convinced in a while that he's he's in for a really good week. So let's move on uh to the forties, fifties. I guess sixties. Honestly, I've been trying to. I've been debating on like where do I think the win equity stops, and I mean, there's all these guys that I feel like still have some win equity here. So you know what? It's a major championship week. So let's just who cares if we're an hour or six and we're going to keep talking. Yeah. Um, yeah, Shane Lowry, Tom Kim, Max Homa, Bryson DeChambeau, Justin Rose, sixty to one, which I know is a podcast favorite. Bobby Mack probably a little bit inflated from last week, uh, but man, this is the guy that I was bringing up earlier. I didn't hear him very high in your model but Wyndham clark just like still 60 yeah. to 1 cam young 70, 65 to 1 hideki 70 
I've also got a feature. Oh, when I placed that Cantley feature, I also put a uh, Decky feature in. That did not pay off. I have him at 50. Uh, yeah. But Decky is at 70. Justin Thomas, wow. Justin Thomas, 70 to 1. Minwoo, 70. Tony Finau, 70. Like, where do you cut off the win equity? Because I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, a lot of guys with a ton of upside. Uh, I will say for your ticket, first of all, I want to apologize because I know I left you in the dark when you asked me about this. Um, I will say the Open's one of the only tournaments – of the year where I'm, or one of the, the only four major of the four that uh, I don't really like placing futures on just because it's so varying on weather. And unless I think the, the number is like crazy egregious, I'm just going to go and lay off and, and, you know, maybe catch a comparable number of the week of just because there's so much that changes, I think, in terms of potential wave stacking and stuff like that. But I do like Hideki's fit for this golf course. I think Hideki's an underrated driver of the golf ball. Um, and, you know, we, we know about his middle long iron play. Um, short game, stuff like that. So I, I think Hideki is going about another rate. I've seen like 80 to ones on Hideki Matsuyama, which even for I heard me. Andy yeah. Locks today on the scramble said he's, he's got a hundred to one ticket. That's yeah. That's, that's a little bit irresponsible for bookmakers. I think, to be honest with you, for, for someone that, that tends to thrive in like major championship scoring conditions, really difficult golf courses. I mean, this is a guy that was in pole position for the Memorial just a few weeks ago. Um, obviously had a really bad Saturday and Sunday, but he's, he's proven that he, he can at least, you know, cut it at the top of these leaderboards in some really big time events. So I think Hideki's going a little bit under the radar for me. Yeah. I, I would not be, uh, I would not besmirch like a shot at 70, 80, hundred to one on a Hideki. Um, yeah. I mean, Wyndham for me, Jesus Christ. I mean, the dude, he's phenomenal. Like he's, he's so he's a top 10 player of the world. In my opinion, I don't really know if you can debate that. I mean, he finished T 25 in Scotland, which is, I mean, he kind of did what good players do when they maybe don't have everything clicking all at once. Um, I mean, he lost 2.5 shots putting, which is his worst putting performance since, excuse me, the Farmers Insurance Open at Torrey Pines this, this past January. But gained 5.6 shots on approach, gained nearly 2.5 shots off the tee, super long off the tee. I mean, when you talk about total driving, he kind of rates a little bit lower because he is prone to that wider miss. Um, when you compare him to guys like Scheffler, Cantley, Hovland, et cetera. But, I mean, yeah, again, if folks are going to continue to price this guy as if, as if he's like a second-class citizen on the PGA Tour, um, I would be, I'd be, again, perfectly fine with taking a shot. I think, it, I think his floor is a lot higher than even a lot of guys in this range, right? Like you talk about guys like Bryson and, and JT and Cam Young, Bobby McIntyre. Like if I can get matchups with Clark against any of those guys, like that's that's a – a route I would be extremely interested in going for. I think Clark is, I mean, you look through his last like 10 starts, right? T25, T29, win, T12, miscut, win, T23, third, T29, sixth, fifth. I mean, it's just like one miscut and just a top 30 machine, and you can still get them. Uh, if I could pull up the T40 markets, I'm sure you could probably get them around even money to finish top. Uh, he's, I just checked, he's minus 150, but he's plus okay. one. Wait, I just had it up. He's plus 160, I think, for top 20. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a really good price. I, I think his floor is a lot higher than anybody's given him credit for this week. I, I Like I said, I think he's just – he's leveled up into an, an echelon in, in the game where, like, you're surprised if he finishes outside the top 30. You know, like, he, I would be very surprised if he misses a guy. He just – you know, he, he's got the tools to overpower a golf course. The iron play has just taken a huge leap forward, and we know about the short game of the putting – that can carry him forward like we saw the U.S. Open. So, yeah. I feel I, like you're not going to love the matchup, though. You might. I don't know. What you got? 
I think honestly, I kind of like it. Okay. When when Clark minus one twenty, Max Homa minus one ten. Yeah, there's only one direction I go for. There's only one direction I go in there. It's Wyndham Clark. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Max has been – I've been a proponent of Max. It's some deep numbers kind of in recent weeks. The ball striking does seem like it's coming back for Homa, but in terms of just floor, um, I, I trust Wyndham a lot more than I trust Max right now. So, um, yeah, definitely not a slam dunk. I would I would be interested to see what other books would have. Like like I said, I would be trying to target guys like maybe Cameron Young or Bobby Mack off a good finish or Min Wu or – Justin Thomas, just I think the I think the floor is lower with those guys than it is with with Homa. Um, but yeah, Wyndham for me is in terms of just setting a solid foundation about as good as you can find at sixty to one in this field. I, I like Justin Rose as well, a guy that we were really big on last week uh, at the Scottish Open. Actually, struck the ball decently last week. To be honest with you, just really got let down by a pretty faulty putter over two days. Lost nearly two shots um, on the greens there in Scotland. You know, gained. Almost a shot on the, almost gained almost a shot on the field on approach. Gained over two, around the greens. The the one thing with Rose is the fact that the driver has been a little bit wayward. Uh, so I, I kind of mentioned last week that at Renaissance Club, if there's one thing I don't mind you being kind of loose in, it's with the driver. And this week it's kind of the opposite where I really kind of need you to be dialed in off the tee. And he did lose two shots um, to the field last week with the driver. Only had sixty or only had fifty seven percent of his fairways too. So. Um, yeah, maybe a little bit, maybe a bit more lukewarm on Rose than I was last week, but certainly commit the case at 60 to one. I think he's playing better than this price point indicates. Um, but yeah, I would say, yeah, Rose Clark would be my two favorites from this range. Uh, Lowry at 40, uh, when you talk about an open championship and he finished T12 last week in Scotland, compelling option before you look at the fact that he was, he put together one of his worst ball striking weeks of, I don't know, even though, like the last two years over there and Scotland lost uh, 3.2 shots on approach, lost nearly two shots off the tee, was really carried by his putter, uh, gained eight shots on the green in Scotland. So not exactly the form you'd like coming in off a of tee 12, but, you know, the long-term pedigree with the ball striking is, is really sound for Lowry. Um, I don't really see him having the ceiling to, to win, but I could see like a top 20 or top 40 there. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much all I've got on on this range. Um, I do like that plus money on Wyndham Clark top twenty. I do like that quite a bit. That's probably the best thing we found so far, uh, deeper down the board. Um, and yeah, maybe uh, yeah, that, that's that's pretty much it. I, I I see a lot of these guys just as having a pretty wide range of outcomes, which is not really what I want to see in the, in like a prop market sense. I want to talk about guys like JT and Cam Young and uh, Bryson. And Homa, I can see them pretty easily just missing the cut. Um, I don't see them. I, I see a lot safer options even when you go further down the board. All right. Well, I know for sure there's at least one other guy you want to talk about in the prop market. Um, I did figure out who that was from your little data golf or not data golf, your uh, fantasy national, fantasy national screenshot. Um, but you also have guys like in your model here that were pretty far down the board. Um, but I feel like kind of always rates out well for you, but like Gary Woodland. Yeah. Um, who's the other one I just had? Corey Connors probably. Yeah, but he was actually a little bit lower than normal for you. So yeah, he I, wasn't was... sure, I wasn't sure how you felt for, for him this week. Yeah. Um, the name that really, which I think I understand it now that I'm looking at his data golf profile, but the name that really struck me 
is Sung Jay being 125 to one. Yeah. Like a guy that I feel like is pretty accurate off the driver, but not of recent, apparently. Is he not? How much do you do that? Oh, wow. Yeah, he's lost three straight. Yeah. His accuracy. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, that would be the main case I would make for Sung Jay is the fact that historically one of the more reliable drivers of the golf ball we have on tour. Uh, the iron play, he has gained strokes on approach in his last three starts, which is nice to see. Uh, the thing with Sung Jay, though, is horrible open championship track record and horrible links track record uh-huh. in general. Um, he finished, if I could look back, he missed the cut last week in Scotland. Um, finished, missed the cut last year in Scotland. Also, two missed cuts and two starts in Scotland. He's finished T81 and missed cut in his other two open championship starts. So, clearly one of those guys that doesn't really um, favor the links golf courses too much. I would like to see some life just selfishly out of Sung Jay because, I mean, the 3M and the Wyndham and even um, the start of the Cup playoffs in Memphis, I think are all three really good spots for, for Sung Jay. So I'd like to see him start to turn things around, especially if we're going to get him priced like this deep down the board. Like if we can get like a 80 to one in the first leg of the Cup playoffs, that might not be a number that I can pass on. Uh, but yeah, definitely, definitely has to prove a bit more for me first um, for me to, Ready to actually invest money in the betting board. I think he's actually not a bad like DraftKings play if you want to go like contrarian. Because uh, I do think like Sung Jay's overarching profile fits this place quite well. Um, but clearly, you're taking I think maybe a bit too big of a risk in like betting if you're gonna like lay money on him like top forty or top twenty just because. Um, yeah, he just doesn't have a ton of success both in this part of the but this part of the world and increasingly with kind of with most of his main weapons. So um, I will segue that into talking about. To your point, my my favorite top forty play of the week, uh, plus money on his Korean counterpart Siwoo Kim. Uh, I've got plus one forty uh, for a top forty on Siwoo uh, that I absolutely love. I'm almost tempted to re up on the top twenty price. Um, plus three hundred. Since it's a plus three hundred, yeah, I I I think Siwoo's in for actually a really solid week this week. And when you talk about all the things I'm weighing in terms of drawing accuracy, super reliable off the tee, third and fairways gained over his last fifty rounds. He's sixth in sand saves, uh, rates inside the top 30 in my kind of proximity model from 175 to 200. And when you, when you think about Siwoo, you, you oftentimes think about kind of the variability that we experienced from him early in his career, uh, like in 2017, 2018, when he first came on the scene, not a guy that you would like to be betting top 40 a lot of the times. It was oftentimes like, you know, top five or miscut for Siwoo. But, you know, you look over his last six months or so, miscut the Travelers last start, but he did gain 2.9 shots ball striking. 39th at the U.S. Open, 4th at the Memorial, which I think is a pretty good indicator, getting 12 shots from TD Green um, around a really firm, fast, penal golf course at Memorial. 29th at Charles Schwab, 2nd at Byron Nelson, 43rd at Wells Fargo, 29th at the Masters, 39th at Valero, 27th at the Players, 39th at the Earl Palmer. So we've seen just a really steady drumbeat of consistent play from, from Siwoo. And, uh, again, he's super reliable off the tee. Really, really nice iron player, especially in this type of range. And uh, I, I do trust the around the green in the punting game, too. So, um, yeah, Siwoo's a guy that I'm, I'm already locked in at, at, at plus 140 for top 40. I think he's a great DraftKings play, great top 20 play even, if you want to maybe lay, maybe uh, play for a bit more upside there. Uh, but Siwoo, and then you you already nailed my other guy. <laughs> I, I already bet Gary Woodland plus, 80, plus 185 for a top 40. Uh, again, if, if, I'm gonna, if I'm going to shy away from weighing short game stats uh, and put a lot of emphasis on total driving and long iron play, like – Woodland looks a lot like some of the best players in the world when you just talk about those two metrics, right? He's 
Um, he's ninth on the entire PJ Tour in total driving. Surprisingly, Woodland has been keeping the ball in play a lot better than what we've seen in recent years. We've, he's always had the power, right? Top five in driving distance on the PJ Tour. Uh, but 30th in this field in fairways gained over his last five starts. Seventh in total ball striking. First and eighth in both my two both my key proximity models. Um, and historically, one of the better win players right on the PJ Tour. Uh, one is only major championship in kind of blustery, coastal, uh, windy conditions at uh, Pebble Beach in 2019. I think this is a pretty uh, egregious number at plus 185 for a top 40. I think he's he's got a much, much higher floor in a place like this um, than, than what the price would indicate. So, uh, yeah, Woodland would be would be my kind of favorite long shot, I guess, top 40 play. Um, and then I kind of have just out of principle. I mean, Patrick Cantley is minus 110 for a top 20, uh, just, just based on kind of the recent way he's playing, just based on, how important I think driving is going to be this week, and um, he's had on in major championships. I think anything around even money for a top twenty on Cantley, he's kind of become the new Xander for me. Um, especially with Xander's kind of recent dip in form, uh, I think this guy's should be like right up there with like minus one fifty, minus one sixty to finish top twenty. I think he's he's really well set up. And then um, I've also got uh, Colin Morikawa as well for for a top twenty, just to kind of double up on my my already. Um, my initial thoughts on him in the outright market, I think. Um, plus money on the top 20, I think the floor is a lot higher than than what books are um, are putting out there. Uh, I, I would completely, kind of for the same reason why I would completely eliminate uh, Cam Smith's struggles at or Cam Smith's triumph at St. Andrews last year. The same reason why I would, um, again, de-emphasize the miscut Colin had in his open championship defense last year at St. Andrews. Like, you know, St. Andrews is a golf course that really doesn't put a, whole lot of weight on any any of the things that Colin does well, driving accuracy and uh, kind of middle to long iron play, a ton of like kind of flip wedges and you know, drive the ball as far as you can. I think Roland pulls a much better fit for Morikawa. So um, like I said, I'm I'm kind of all in on on him this week. So I figured I'd put a top 10 there on or top 20 there on pl- at plus money on uh, on Morikawa. So yeah, but down the board, I, I, I – Definitely agree with the sentiment on Wyndham Clark. You've kind of sold me on that. I like the plus money uh, for the top 20. And then for top 40s, I like uh, Seawood and Woodland are my two main looks there. I do have uh, three more real quick, uh, but we don't want to forget about John from the group chat. He did give us a question yeah. that he wanted us to cover. Uh, so he wanted to have some – he has some interest in the prop market. And he wanted yep. to talk about – he has a list of guys here. But like the ones I think you would have the most interest in from the guys he listed, but I'll list them all just in case. Uh, but he listed out Brian Harmon, Min Woo, Bobby McIntyre, Denny McCarthy, Adam Scott. I think most interest for you there would probably be Harmon. Um, and then the deep cuts are Hoygaard, is it Ewan Ferguson? And then yeah. Daniel yeah. Hillier, which is, the I guess, the British uh, Masters champion. champion. Yeah, a few weeks back. Uh, I, think he's, I think he's Australian or New Zealander. He's one of those two. Um, but young kid that has, uh, has found a lot of success on the European Tour recently. Uh, I echo what you said about Harmon. I, I, I do like, I would assume with his a top, what is a plus money proposition that as a top 40 there, uh, but his last three starts 12th, ninth and second at the, uh, Scottish open, the rocket Morgan, the travelers, he's come inside the top 20 in both of those open starts, last two open starts, uh, reliable off the tee, really solid short game, proficient wind player loves these kind of coastal tracks. So yeah, I think we're right in lockstep on Harmon. Um, so he's plus 275 for a top 20, and he is plus 125 for a top 40, actually. Yeah, I would I would go for the top 40. Like I said, I think 
I think the top 20 spots are going to get filled pretty quickly by kind of the top of the board. Just if I'm projecting forward, like the leaderboard this week, I, I don't see a lot of room for long shots. Like, especially when compared to like a traditional U S or traditional open championship, I think it's going to be kind of your thoroughbreds up top. And so when you, when you look this far down the board, um, I would have to be, I'd have to be pretty enamored with you to, to bet you top 20. Uh, I'd have to be pretty bullish in your overall profile. So Harmon's a guy that I think fits more than the top 40 market, a pretty safe floor uh, in like draft case cast and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, not really going to suit for too much upside with, with Harmon there. Um, yeah. Um, let's see. I mean, I don't have a lot to say on Daniel Hillard or anything like that. Um, let me see. Is there anyone else in that stat that I like? Oh, you want me to listen for you again? It's yeah, uh, Minwoo, Bobby Mack, Denny McCarthy, Adam Scott. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I try to avoid, like, going too overboard with, like, a lot of recommendations in the top 40 range because it's very easy to kind of make cases for a lot of guys. So I, I try – I would rather stick to two or three guys I have a lot more confidence in rather than, like, scatter shot six guys around even money and, like, you're probably – you know, be lucky to come four and two in that sense. So um, I can see the cases for, for Scott. I can see the, I mean, he came T five here back in 2014. He's kind of had a steady or drum beat of, of decent results kind of coming in 19th, the travelers, ninth Memorial. He was driving the ball really well. Uh, the putter has been pretty good. So yeah, I, I think Scott would be my favorite of those four. I, I would tend to kind of sell the Bobby Mack and, and Minwoo uh, shares for me. Um, for me, Bobby Mack coming off the Scottish, I just, I just think he's a bit overvalued in the market right now. Um, coming off that second place finish, and then Minwoo, the two things that I like this week in terms of when I'm building a profile for success, I, I like driving accuracy and I like uh, mid long iron play. Minwoo Lee raced up pretty terribly in both those stats. I thought last week was a much better chance for, for Minwoo to, to catch a prop ticket or, or to make some noise. Um, ended up coming T35, a decent, a decent performance, but I think this week is a a much worse fit from a, from a course uh, fit standpoint. So, um, so yeah, of those, of those guys, I would, I would probably lean Scott if you wanted to, to make a move on to those uh, and Harmon as well. Um, but if I'm, if I'm, you know, in control of your betting card, I would just put more money on Siwoo and Woodland, but that's just me. Yeah, that's fair. All right. So let's recap. We have a lot of things we touched on uh, a lot more normal, honestly. So, um, for the actual outright betting card, John Rahm, 16 to 1, 7 units. Brooks Kepka, 25 to 1, 4 and a half units. Victor Hovland, 25 to 1, 4 and a half units. And then Colin Morikawa, 35 to 1, 3 and a quarter units. So that's 19 and a quarter to win 112. And then the prop market. We've got, uh, I missed what your call on was. Was your call on a top 10 or top? Top 20 plus 120. Okay. Yeah. So we got Colin, top 20, um, plus 110. We've got Patrick Cantley, minus 110, top 20. Um, Brian Harmon top 40 plus 125, Gary Woodland plus 185 top 40, Siwoo Kim plus 140 top 40, and Wendell Clark plus 160 top 20. Did I miss anybody? That's that's okay. what I got. Yep, cool. All right, well, lots to go there, uh, even for the DraftKings DFS people for the outright betters along with us. A lot of information, uh, but hey, this is your last major championship of 2023, which is crazy to say. So yeah. You know, obviously, be responsible, but hey, have a little fun, right? Yeah, if you want to uh, <laughs> overexpose the, if you want overexpose the open, then take three M off. I wouldn't blame you one bit. So, uh, but we will be back, obviously, for the three M open next week. 
Uh, Wyndham after that, one Chris and I's kind of hometown event that we went to last year, and then the Fed's Cup playoffs. So still plenty of golf content to come. Uh, then we take, we take like a two-week break before the start of the 2023 season, Ryder Cup in September. So still plenty of things on the docket. But, yeah, it does feel a bit surreal kind of going through the last major championship venue, I think. Um, even though we haven't had a ton of betting success at the Masters and the PGA and the U.S. Open, um, you know, seeing Rom's Rom won his green jacket and Kepka's come back and then Wyndham Clarks went out of kind of nowhere uh at LA. I think it's been a it's been a sick major championship season. I think we're in for another really, really good one this week. And uh hopefully one of our guys can make it in the mix and uh and mix it up there on Sunday. So um yeah, that's all I got, man. Thanks for thanks for listening to me over these last hour and a half. Um yeah, it, it's it's a it's a tougher episode to, I think to produce than maybe our traditional PJ tour stuff, but I hope that you guys got something um, worthwhile out of it. And you know, if you're if you're tailing, then best of luck. If you're not, uh, best of luck as well. Let's all uh, have a good Open Championship season and happy viewing. That's right. All right. With that being said, guys, we will see you later, and we'll talk to you next week, hopefully with a winning ticket in hand. See you guys.